0: the podcast by students and their professors at the University of Oxford. Have you ever wondered about medieval worship? How was Christ viewed and how did people pray? I'm Ursula White, a second-year English student from Somerville College, Oxford, and today I'll be interviewing Professor Annie Sutherland, a tutor at Somerville College, Oxford and specialist in Old and Middle English, who is currently working on vernacular devotion in the late 13th to early 15th centuries on the fascinating topic of medieval piety. First, I just wanted to go over a couple of really simple key points and definitions for anyone who's not come across devotional literature before. Beginning with what medieval devotional literature is, what does it focus on, and sort of what are its defining features. The medieval
1: devotional literature that I work on is literature of the late Middle Ages, so from around 1300 onwards, and this is literature that was written in England. When I talk about this devotional literature written in English from around, let's say, 1300 to, to 1450, I'm talking about literature which explores, at the most basic level, what it is to be a Christian. And it explores questions to do with the living of an authentic Christian life, questions to do with how one prays, how one occupies one's time effectively. It is literature which is most often written frequently for women Um, And if not specifically for women, certainly for an audience of lay people. So by lay people, I mean people who aren't monks, who aren't nuns, who aren't vicars, who aren't priests. An audience of lay people who are wanting to know, who are hungry to know more about what it is to be a Christian, what it is to live a Christian life and what it is to live a life of Of prayer, um, a sort of a morally admirable, ethically responsible life. So, you mentioned obviously sort of how
0: one prays and what it means to be a Christian. What's Mm -hmm. the key differences between sort of the modern
1: Christianity that we might know and medieval piety? That's a very good question. And there is, I mean, there's a huge amount that one could say in response to that. I think the first thing that I would say was that England. The England of the Middle Ages was an England, a country which was overwhelmingly Christian. So sort of to be English was, in some sense, to be Christian. Although, of course, there was room for shades of doubt, for for nuances of belief. And so I think that's the, the first thing that I would say, that everybody sort of shared more or less the same basic belief system. And this was a belief system which very much promoted the idea that to get to heaven, you must live a good life. If you do not live a good life, then the afterlife that is waiting for you is a terrible afterlife involving hell and punishment, endless damnation. So I think that's the next thing I would say. The third thing I would say is that when we, when you or I, go into a church building in the 21st century, we see a space which is quite formally laid out. There are rows of pews in the church and we sort of think of the pews as quintessentially English and part of the English church going experience. The walls of churches are often in the 21st century quite austere, quite plain and And we're used to a visit to a church actually being in some ways quite an austere experience. In the Middle Ages, churches could not have been more different from from the way in which we we encounter them today two things i think are really important first of all there were no pews in medieval churches so people would either stand or sit on the ground to to listen to preaching to be present at the performing of you know sacraments such as the eucharist communion so church was a much less sort of formally structured organized space than it is now And then the second difference to do with the church is the church walls in the Middle Ages were very, very richly painted, very richly painted and decorated. Most of the time with scenes from the life of Christ, but also often with images of well-known saints undergoing their various torments and tortures and facing martyrdom for the church. So churches were less formal places, they were also much more brightly coloured, vibrant, engaging places than perhaps they are now and then the, the last difference sort of on a broad level between Christianity now and Christianity then was that in the middle ages there were hundreds of religious orders in which people were involved so you know most towns cities would have a monastery or a convent in or nearby the town there were a lot of men and women who also chose to live lives of individual devotion to Christ so a lot of hermits a lot of solitary religious figures whom we know as anchorites. It would be very common for you to walk down a street outside your house and see a monk passing you by or see a nun passing you by. So the sort of church and the belief system was an integral part of life in the Middle Ages in a way that it it perhaps no longer is. So
0: now moving on to the more specific subject of medieval devotional literature, (laughs) can we just quickly discuss the figure of Christ as somebody that The modern audience might be quite familiar
1: with, so how was Christ represented in these literatures? Okay, so the literatures that are, I mean, there are so many different sorts of medieval devotional literature, but perhaps if for today we just talk about texts that focus in particular on Christ, a lot of devotional texts of the late Middle Ages take the form of basically sample meditations, sample prayers or model prayers, model meditations, in which the reader is sort of encouraged to adopt the speaking voice of the text so the reader of the text becomes the prayer of the text or becomes the meditator who voices the text and these texts these meditations are very much focused on the figure of Christ and in particular on the figure of Christ As he underwent the events leading up to and including his crucifixion. And that whole sequence of events leading up to, including, and then coming after the crucifixion is a series of events that we know as the Passion, Passion of Christ. So the texts that I'm thinking about and talking about are texts which focus in great intense detail on the suffering body of Christ on the cross. Christ in these texts is represented as a suffering Human being. So these are texts which place an extraordinary and to our eyes almost sometimes distasteful amount of emphasis on the physical torments that Christ underwent on the cross. So they talk in great detail about the placing of the crown of thorns on Christ's head and the fact that it was such a spiky, sharp crown of thorns that the thorns penetrated Christ's skull and entered into his brain. Or they talk about the nailing of Christ's body the cross in exceptionally graphic terms, talking about the rivers of blood that flow from his five wounds. They talk in great detail about the side wound on Christ's right-hand side. They also focus a lot of their attention on the grief of Christ's mother, Mary, as she stands at the foot of the cross, and also the grief of Christ's disciple, John, as he stands at the other side of the foot of the cross. So these are texts which sort of put their readers under enormous, if you like, emotional pressure in that they are texts which ask us to look very closely at the suffering body of Christ to appreciate what Christ underwent for us on the cross and to as a result of that sort of emotional pressure being put on one, these are texts which which ask us to turn from a life of sin to a life of, of righteous devotion. So
0: you briefly touched on the idea that these texts were module prayers or meditations for the mm-hmm. reader. Mm -hmm. Could you just go into a little bit more detail about the relationship between readers and writers of texts and the body of Christ? So
1: most of the texts that I'm talking about, these meditations on the passion are anonymous so we don't actually know who wrote a lot of these texts not all of them but a lot of them but i think we can pretty safely assume that most were written by men sometimes women but much more frequently men living a life of religious devotion so monks friars priests bishops and these are texts which i think i said a while ago were generally written either for a female reader or for a more generalized lay readership a readership that is included you know your average man or woman these are texts which were sometimes read out loud rather than being read privately simply because books were expensive the process of producing books let alone read owning books was an incredibly expensive process and also because levels of literacy um, were very different in medieval England from levels of literacy that we that we enjoy today so not everybody could read and so one might have texts like this read to one as a sort of group devotional activity. One's response to the suffering body of Christ in this text, in these texts, was intended to be a response of devout, extreme compassion. And by compassion, I mean quite literally suffering with. So in terms of the etymology of the term compassion, Com is related to with, and passio is related to suffering. So to feel compassion is literally to feel as Christ felt on the cross. So these are texts which are de- designed to evoke compassion in the reader. And the compassion that the reader feels is then meant to be a spur prompting them into, as I've said already, a sort of turning away from a life of sin and towards a life of devotion. So you have to read these texts and feel as Christ felt. So just to wrap up the interview, I'd just like to ask
0: you, what text do you think everybody should read in order to better understand (laughs) devotional literature in
1: medieval Christianity? Oh, gosh, that's a very difficult question to answer. I thought about this last night and I think I would recommend that people read a text by a figure called Julian of Norwich. And the text is a text that we call Revelations of Divine Love. And I would definitely recommend that you read this in a modern translation rather than in Middle English. There's a very good Oxford World Classics translation, I think, by Barry Windiat. And the reason that I suggest that you read that Text as an introduction to the literature that I've been talking about is that it is very unusual in being the only long 14th century text that we know to have been written by a woman. So it is an outlier, it's unusual in the sense that it's written by uh, by a woman. Having said that, though, it's also a very, very powerful introduction to some of the central themes of the literature that I've talked about. Most specifically, it's a powerful introduction to medieval ways of depicting Christ on the cross and medieval ways of evoking or at least attempting to evoke compassion for the suffering body of christ on the cross so it's an extraordinary text it's not an entirely easy text to read i don't think but even in its strangeness or perhaps because of its strangeness it's actually very very compelling
0: thank you very much thank you for listening to this episode of oxpods if you enjoyed it please do recommend to a friend and check out our episodes from other channels too To keep up to date with episode releases, to suggest ideas for new episodes, or to get involved with recording, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or go straight to our website at www.oxpods.co.uk.